Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of being with Greg and Lynn McDonald. Together, they are the co-founders of Embracing the Journey, an organization that is dedicated to helping LGBTQ families become reconciled with each other and at the same time move one step closer to Jesus. Greg and Lynn are the proud parents of Greg Jr. and Connie, parent-in-laws to Matt and happy grandparents of three grandchildren. Greg and Lynn, welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Thank you. Glad, Glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yes, of course. And we go way back to Michigan days, the three of us, which we figured out a few weeks ago talking on the phone. We do. Such a small world when you think about it, you know? Yeah, we could play, Indeed. what do they call it, Dutch bingo? <laughs> <laughs> I have not heard that, but okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, huh? Where everyone's related in West Michigan. You've never heard that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, Greg and Lynn released a book in uh, last month, March 2019, titled Embracing the Journey, and it's an inspiring guide for parents of LGBTQ children. And today we're going to talk about their journey as a family, what led them to write this book, and what their current work is all about. So first off, Greg and Lynn, uh, what should our listeners know about you? Well, again, and thanks, thanks for uh, having us, Michael. We're excited to uh, to be here and share a bit of our our story with you. Of course. Um, well, you know, so uh, Lynn and I both grew up in the Detroit area, and um, uh, in fact, we uh, we met in junior high school. Um, and nice. kind of fun story. We were <laughs> we were high school sweethearts, and we got married right out of high school. Uh, so we've been married forty one years. Wow. Um, yeah. So um, I was completely infatuated with Lynn the moment I saw her and, uh, and remained to this day. Um, and uh, it's just, uh, it's been a crazy ride. At, uh, um, we, and, you know, we've been married 41 years. We spent a little over 10 years in counseling. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that's just, well, that's, that's no, why you're that's married 41 years. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes, that's true. So, yeah. so you know, I, I, uh, I was raised, um, I like to say, as a pedestrian. Um, uh, because frankly, my folks really didn't go to church. Uh, they did Christmas and Easter. There was a, a short time where they uh, attended a, uh, a church, but um, I really didn't have a, a church upbringing. I had really loving parents um, that were, I think, morally grounded, but um, so I didn't really have much of a faith background. Um, and that didn't happen until, uh, for me, until I was 27 years old when I came to know about Jesus and um, uh, made a decision to uh, put him first in my life. Hmm. And for me, um, my my background is um, a little different from Greg's. I, I grew up in a Catholic church, and uh, I just remember being around 11 years old wanting just always loving Jesus. And I thought, oh, I want to be a nun. That's what I want to do. I want to follow <laughs> Jesus. And then all of a sudden, you know, I met Greg and that all went to pot. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just, um, as, you know, I just remembered loving Jesus and, and wanting to know him and um, better. And it really wasn't until, um, like Greg said, it was around the same time. Like actually it was the same time we both, uh, 
prayed that God would, um, you know, be, be our savior and that we, uh, we recognized that we were sinners and, and made a choice to follow him. And that just took me to another, uh, step of, uh, following Jesus. Hmm. And you, you're now living in Atlanta. We are. Yes. Launched a work uh, called Embracing the Journey, which is also the title of your book. And what brought you into that work, uh, as you share in the book and as your son writes in the, um, in the prologue, that your son Greg Jr. came out to you guys as gay. And it's a beautiful picture of vulnerability that you offer up to the reader because your response when your son came out was, we need to get you fixed. And so looking back on that, what were the results, the repercussions of, of saying that? Yeah, good question. So um, <clears throat> um, actually, uh, Greg really didn't come out to us. We found him out. I stumbled into some pornography on his computer, and, uh, and that's what kind of got the ball rolling. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, what was the result of, of that? Well, it worked perfectly. Um, okay, so not. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, actually, it's one of those things where, you know, we, we all have this in our life at some point where we do something or say something that seems, you know, um, perfect at the time. It's, and yet, in hindsight, we look at it and say, oh, my gosh, what, what was I thinking of? And mm. this is one of those moments. So... Um, uh, it was actually when we had confronted Greg about being gay uh, where this conversation took place. And uh, I, I remember very clearly um, saying, um, well, what happened was when we confronted Greg about it, he, he said uh, something to the effect that uh, he said he kind of had his head down and shaking. And he said, boy, I just uh, I knew this day would come. I just always hoped it wouldn't come until I was out of college. And we kind of looked at each other and <clears throat> said, well, why out of college? And he explained that his friends had told him that if uh, if his parents found out, that they would surely not send him to college. And um, and I, I just remember saying, Greg, listen, you know, we we love you more than life itself. Like th there's nothing that would stop us from loving you. Um, but then I went on to explain that um, we we just we need to get you fixed. And, uh, of course, if anybody's ever made you feel like a project, um, oh, yes. that, that normally doesn't turn out well, does it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've said before about my own journey being this troublemaking kid that I felt more like a project to be fixed than a person to be loved. And it's yeah. not, it doesn't yield good things. No, it mm -hmm. does not. And so, you know, if um, being on Greg's end, just, you know, thinking through what that sounded like, um, clearly we were reinforcing the messages that he already knew. That mm -hmm. is that we were not safe. He grew up in a household where, um, you know, if Will and Grace was on TV, um, if there was some personal touching going on in the program, I'd say, turn that crap off. We're not watching that um, in, in this house. Um, you know, we, we just, we sent messages that we weren't safe. And so unfortunately, Greg did a lot of processing of all these feelings about his sexuality on his own. We weren't there. And then when we, when he, when we finally started talking about it, um, the, the whole idea that, um, uh, that he was broken, um, uh, just again, it reinforced that, um, 
that we had issues with them. Um, it, it reinforced the fact that we were embarrassed, right? Um, and, uh, you know, it's just I can't think of a worse thing to do than to tell our children that, um, that we're embarrassed of you, that, you know, you're, you're a mess, we need to get you fixed. Um, and so, but that's, that's what we did. And so the causal effect of that, Michael, was that it was very destructive to our relationship. Hmm. Um, Greg, Greg showed us a lot of grace, far more grace than we exhibited. Um, but it was, it was a very destructive thing. Lynn, how, how was that for you? What was your experience mm-hmm. like? Well, um, for me, it was very similar to Greg and maybe I didn't use the words we need to get you fixed, but I thought that this was an issue that needed, um, expert help with. Mm. Uh, This was sort of over our pay grade and um, it was something that we never really thought about um, if we did have an LGBTQ child, what, how we would respond. So this was all new. So we, um, we went to the experts and who we thought were experts. And so, you know, we went to Exodus, we went to our church pastor, um, we didn't get to go to too many friends because we knew that they hadn't walked that. We tried to find people who did have an LGBT child who was a little bit further in their journey than we were. Um, and in a church of over 5,000 people, our pastor said he knew of one couple and he didn't think that they'd be willing to talk to us. Wow. And so, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, looking back at it, I think when, I hear that phrase. I, I, I think about Greg Jr. and saying, yep, that's exactly what I thought mom and dad thought of me, that I was broken, that I needed to be fixed. And I'm sure that hurt him personally as well as spiritually. And um, it also, when I think about myself, I think, oh, my goodness, um, I wish I could have, I wish we could take those words back, Yeah. but we can't, we can just learn from them. And that's yeah. what we hope for other parents is that they can learn from some of our mistakes and think before they say things that you can't take back later on. Yeah. And you, I mean, what you're even sharing now, this is, kind of that tension you had between do I have to choose to love Greg Jr. or choose to love God? And there was a tension that you felt between those two things. And what what helped you realize that you could actually love both? Mm. That's a, a really interesting story because I wrestled with that question for a long time, like years. And the reason why I wrestled with it is that a lot of the Christians that I was surrounded with um, had done something similar. Like if they they shunned their son or daughter when when they got pregnant and were living, you know, um, were living um, with somebody else and uh, and not married, and they would just they sort of severed the relationship. And I also saw the results of that, and 
phenomenon. And I thought, oh my goodness, is this what God is asking me to do? To shun my child, to say, no, um, you are sinning and you are continuing on in this sin. And, you know, if you want to have a relationship with me, then you're going to have to change. I wrestled with that. I, I honestly do. It's, it's embarrassing to say now because um, as you asked the question, what made you realize that you could love both was the Bible. And <laughs> yes. that's what was amazing to me. It was like, okay, these people that I, that these Christians that I really respected responded this way. It wasn't until I started reading the Gospels and how, how, how Jesus responded to people. And then most importantly, the greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. But I think it's in Matthew, he doesn't stop there. And then he says, all the laws and the prophets stem from these two commands. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. Um, as Greg says, Greg Sr. says, you know, if you have a 100-word essay and you get the 98 right, but you miss these two, love God and love your neighbor, you flunk. And because those are the most important. Yes. And I just really, it, it that freed me up to say it, I didn't, I didn't have to not have a relationship with, with God. Actually, it was the opposite. I needed, not only mm. needed, I was commanded. Yeah, exactly. God wasn't suggesting that this might be a good idea. <clears throat> he, he was pretty clear that, you know, loving God and loving our neighbors, certainly how much more our children, um, was, that was, those are the greatest commands. And, you know, so at, at the time, I remember, I remember when um, Lynn, we were, we were both working in, together in the house and she said, Greg, she said, check this out. She said, and she, so she came over, she read the greatest commandment. And, um, and she said, God is, God is actually telling us that, that this is okay, that we don't have to turn our back on Greg. And, um, and so I had heard the greatest commandment like many of us, but what I never caught was the piece that Lynn talked about afterwards where Jesus says all the laws and all the prophets hang on these two commands. Well, at the time, you know, a little study, and we found that, you know, he was the the audience he was speaking to uh, were were Jewish, and they they attempted to keep like six hundred and thirteen laws back then. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking the top ten, right? <laughs> but <laughs> but he's he's saying no no no. Out of all six hundred and thirteen, this is the most critical. These two um, are 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 you know. The where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's and, it's interesting that you point out, uh, I asked you, what led you to this? What helped you change your mind? And you said the Bible. And I think we all, three of us, chuckled a little bit. But I think it's important because so often, even if it's just a uh, compassion shown toward the LGBTQ community, I remember one time years ago before our church moved to full inclusion, on behalf of the church, I apologized to the LGBTQ community for the way that so many Christians in the church had treated them. And we had five families leave just because I apologized. Mm -hmm. And so there's this 
accusation that often comes of, well, you've thrown the Bible away. Right. And so I just want to point out, it's actually the Bible that's compelling you to love, which makes Positive. far more sense than the Bible compelling you to ostracize, to shun, to throw somebody out. Um, and no doubt, maybe some of the more knowledgeable, or I should say, uh, more biblically literate listeners are thinking about Jesus's words in Matthew 18, about, you know, if someone refuses to listen to you, tell it to the church, and then if they don't listen, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And that's often taken as a, you need to excommunicate them. But I think what we should be invited to consider is how did Jesus treat the pagan and the tax collectors? Exactly. He had meals well, and, with them. He went and, to their yeah, cities, and, to their towns. He healed their sick. Um, yeah. There was really no difference. Well, and, and as he was doing that, as he was hanging out with um, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, etc., um, it was the, the, the Pharisees that were going crazy. They're like, hey, do you have any idea who you're dining with? Like, oh, yeah. seriously, you need to come have dinner with us. And, um, uh, and you know, so it's very clear to us that, you know, throughout the Gospels, the idea of hypocrisy is something that that really got underneath Jesus' skin. Um, when we think about our society, one of the things that all of us find difficult is when we see people that are hypocritical. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say for a younger generation today, they are especially critical of that. And so back to one of your, your earlier uh, questions about um, uh, being broken. You know, so... Um, the idea that we're all broken, we all have sin, like, absolutely. But when we, see, we treated Greg's brokenness, being being gay, if you will, um, different than we do other sins. So when we encounter people at church that are gossips, we don't say, we need to get you fixed. When the person sits down to you in the pew who looks like me, so I was in the food business for 30 years. I love good food. I know how to find it. I know how to cook it. <laughs> I'm going to visit you, you guys at, in Atlanta. We'll go. Sounds good. I'll buy the wine. Yeah, you look at <laughs> Sounds me. Good. That guy likes to eat, right? But but the point is, we don't say, hey, Greg, we need to get you fixed. Um, you know, God's got a problem with gluttony, right? And, and so we just have a double standard when it comes to um, sexuality, and in this case, homosexuality. And, and so what happened was, is we um, pursued Greg kind of with the Bible originally, using the Bible to beat him, yeah. kind of beating him over his head with the Bible. What happened was we, we eventually chased him and all of his friends away. They stopped coming around. Our house was always the place where all the kids would hang out. <clears throat> and um, it became very apparent to us after possibly a year and a half or so, that all of a sudden we were losing voice. We were losing um, influence in our child's life because mm -hmm. of how we were behaving. And it was about that time we got really serious uh, about just really uh, spending time in the Gospels and looking at Jesus, who he was, who he said he was, who he hung out with, yeah. what did he have to say, you know, how did he treat others? And it became very apparent that what we were doing certainly was not Christ-like. Exactly. Philip Yancey has a great quote, and this may not be verbatim, but he said, he spoke of how he recognized that when Jesus walked around on earth, 
the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, they ran to him. Mm. And he said 2,000 years later, those same people are now running from the church. Right. Mm. Something's got to change. And you, you talked about the church earlier, and I want to circle back to that. You said you were in a church of 5,000 people. You shared this with the pastor who said, well, there's one other family I know of that isn't willing to talk to you. Uh, what's, what's been your experience since that moment moving forward with the church? Um, in, in what way are you, are you talking? About? Are you seeing more people? Cause I hear that. And I think to myself, you, you talked about being embarrassed, mm. um, and feeling like, Oh my goodness, what are people going to think? I'm putting words in your mouth, but, um, no, that's okay. And there's this sense in which I, I hear a church of 5,000 people mm. and I'm thinking there's a lot of kids <laughs> exactly. who are LGBT or Q or I yeah. or A and yet families keep this under wraps. Exactly. And so I'm wondering, you know, what have you seen in the years yeah. since uh, Greg Jr. came out and you guys have walked with him and restored relationship with him? What have you seen in the church now? Sure. Well, I, I see that, that, you know, that there are churches who are having conversations about this and uh, are trying to figure this out of how... How do we have? How do we include the LGBTQ uh, community in in the church? And because there is such, I, I just find there's so much tension on the right and the left that it's like even trying to have a uh, discussion becomes an argument. Mm-hmm. And so, um, as a parent who has an LGBTQ child. Uh, I can just speak for myself and, and Greg too here. Our hearts break for for the LGBTQ community because they desire to be to belong. And since we've um, since we've now actually uh, em- embraced ourselves into the LGBT community, meeting um, LGBTQ. Christians who are trying to follow Jesus and and desiring to be included in the church, I recognize that um, everybody deserves space in the church to grow in their relationship with Jesus. Yes, and it you know many people will will probably probably most people will agree with that. I think where the the tension comes is well, how much can they participate? Can they be a greeter? Can they be, um, you know, can they teach a class? Can they be an elder? Uh, yeah. Can yeah. they be an elder? Can right. One thing and that I so, think every pastor is willing to have the LGBTQ community do is give money. Right. Yeah. Let's just let's just let's get that out there. <laughs> if you want to give 15 percent of your income, that's fine. Not sure you can that's lead a small right. group. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And, and we have to be careful in those conversations because uh, what we find is that um, if they, uh, this is what, what we have found, is there's, you know, young people who are leading, a, um, say, a, a teenage group and, they're, and they discover they're, they're gay 
then what do you do? Do you, do you come and you chase them out and uh, say, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that anymore. I just think, okay, what does that, how, how, how is the effect of, um, of reacting like that affect them in the relationship with Jesus? And so it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I hope more and more churches are going to have conversations about, not arguments, yeah. I mean conversations, just being able to go, okay, what can we do as a church to move forward in this um, and, and help the LGBTQ community feel loved? And so, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that's, no, no, that's fine. <laughs> I just, so I, I, I do see mo- movement, though, that there there is um like your church uh there are many churches here in Atlanta also that are inclusive and yeah. uh and so they are i feel like they are having more and more conversations about that and that's exciting yeah. to us you, you know um uh, michael with uh with our ministry um so we uh we do a number of things Primarily, as you mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, that our, our whole reason for being is is really is to build bridges between the uh, LGBT community, their families, and the church, even when they seem at odds with each other. And that's that's kind of what we do. We do it um, by uh, uh, one-on-one meetings. We do it um, by leading um, groups. For instance, we attend <clears throat> uh, North Point Church here in in uh, uh, Alpharetta. And we, um, we lead what's called Parent Connect. There's uh, uh, a number of Parent Connect groups. In fact, there's over, I don't know, 100 and 120 people, parents, uh, that participate. That is, parents of LGBTQ kids. Uh, we mm-hmm. facilitate meetings um, with that. We, of course, we through our writing, we connect with people and, and, uh, uh, and also um, through speaking. You know, so whether it's attending conferences, what have you but so what's what's been interesting to me is the amount of of um, parents that come to us so normally when our phone rings by the way um, people aren't calling to um, tell us all kinds of nice things or talk about new sports or weather uh, it's normally because they've gotten their wheels blown off and they're hemorrhaging and they need triage and um, and so we spend a lot of time, whether it's face-to-face meetings or Skype calls, just phone conferences, etc. And I can't tell you how many of the parents that we uh, work with are pastors or people in full-time ministry, and wow. um, and they especially are in a very very difficult spot, as you can imagine. Yeah. And um, and and. But whether they're pastors in ministry or whether they're um, lay people or not even involved with ministry in the church, still the normal is that they're fearful to say anything at church because um, they don't want to be judged. Yeah. In fact, in fact, there's a phenomena that occurs. Um, so, you know, today we've coached and counseled many hundreds of Christian parents um, with LGBT kids. And um, there's this phenomenon that occurs. It's got to be 90, 98, 99% of the time. When parents learn about their child um, sexuality or their orientation, um, the parents 
typically they learn about it because the child came out of the closet. Almost, almost automatically at the same time, the parents go into the closet. Like I say, it's a phenomenon, but it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's very real. They, you know, so us parents, we did the same thing, by the way. We think that retreating to the safety of our closet would be good. Well, the, the reality is that, you know, most of our children, um, they've been processing this for many, many years. And um, in most cases, uh, they knew at a younger age or a very young age uh, that they were simply different. They may not have understood that they were gay or, or bisexual or what have you, but they understood that they were different. <clears throat> and um, uh, by the time they come out of the closet and they share with mom and dad, mom and dad oftentimes uh, feel like a dump truck backed up and emptied its load right in their laps. Right, because yeah. they haven't been processing this for years, and so it is important to process. And sometimes doing that in quote the safety of your closet is okay. But the thing that we've learned is that as long as parents stay in the closet, that is that they don't share with their friends, they don't share with their pastors. Um, what happens is they prolong the healing. The healing doesn't begin until they lean into their situation and literally embrace their journey. It's a journey that God has set before them. God's trusted them with this. Um, you know, their child coming out of the closet certainly surprises most parents, um, but you can rest assured it didn't surprise God. It's not like God said, wow, didn't see that coming. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. and, and yet, and we, we, well, we all struggle with trusting God you know, to actually have this, you know, so. Yeah. And you, you said a few encouraging things there. First, when, when Greg Jr. came out, there was one other family in a church of 5,000 that was open enough to tell their pastor, but not open enough to speak with you. And now you're talking about 120 families who are coming together, journeying together. So there is movement. The, the other side that I've encouraged people often to think about with regard to the church is the, a first step for many in this conversation is just saying, let's talk about how the church has responded to and treated the LGBTQ community. And the work that you're doing, every bit of research says it's so needed because kids that grow up in the church are eight times more likely to commit suicide if they grow up in the church as an LGBTQ teen. And we've talked about Jesus's teaching where he says, you can look at a tree. If it bears bad fruit, it's not a good tree. And if it bears good fruit, it's not a bad tree. And then he says, what we do with the bad trees is we cut them down and throw them in the fire. And so when you look at what the church has done, uh, and I'm not... I don't want to sound like I'm wholesale judging every single human being in the church, because I think they're doing their level best. But more and more, what we're learning is our level best has actually inflicted so much harm on families, on kids, on pastors, people who feel like, in your words, Greg, they have to go into the closet after their kids come out. And so talk a little bit about the work that you're doing, which is really addressing these things head on. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the one of the things that we find, Michael, is that as parents eventually venture out of the closet and we see parents stay there for a couple of weeks, sometimes a couple of months, and unfortunately, sometimes for many years, 
And as I mentioned, as long as they stay there, the healing never begins. Um, but when they finally venture out of the closet, something that happens to all of them at some point is they, they reach a fork in the road. And um, so on, on one direction, so we, let's say we turn left, um, that fork in the road kind of sounds like this. Johnny, listen, we, we taught you from a very young age that decisions have consequences. And you're making a really bad decision, Johnny, mm-hmm. by being gay, right? Um, in fact, you realize, you know, your odds of, of uh, hate crimes, disease, uh, you're going you're gonna to be ostracized in the workplace. Um, you know, you're giving up rights as, as a citizen in the United States if you're going to be gay. Um, you know, like I said, this has really bad consequences. But more than that, Johnny your bad decision is screwing up my life. You're screwing up my good reputation. I've worked years to acquire this reputation um, in the workplace, at church, wherever, right? And so, you know, Johnny, um, we need to get you fixed because you're making really bad choices. Or we just need to help you understand the consequences and then you'll change your mind, right? So we see that we're, um, that's one direction you can take when you reach the fork on the road. And um, a lot of folks um, head down that road. Uh, we did. Um, and then we, we got far enough down the road where we, we realized the bridge was out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and made an abrupt turn and head back the other way. But so the other road, it, it sounds more like this. Johnny, are you telling me this isn't a choice? You didn't choose to be gay? Johnny, do you expect me to believe that God made you gay? Okay, so let's assume for a moment, John, Johnny, I don't know that God made you gay, but let's assume for a moment he allowed you to be gay. Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, Johnny, if this wasn't a decision, oh my gosh, what must it have been like growing up in our home? What, was, must, what must it have been like processing all this information on your own without us being there? Johnny, how can we help, Right. And, and so both of these roads, both these highways, have very predictable outcomes. And it's something that, you know, we see um, parents. And, and so when we counsel parents and we coach parents, um, well, we simply, we, we share our story, uh, very <laughs> uh, unvarnished, if you will, because uh, if it's not unvarnished, then it just, it, it doesn't work. But um, right. so we share our stories, but we also share learnings from the hundreds of parents that we've walked with. And so um, what happens is if you walk with hundreds of parents and you, you start listening to their stories, very quickly you see these common threads that are wound through each of their stories. And um, so our goal in our ministry is if we see folks heading down a, a highway where we know the bridge is out, we'll simply be standing on the side of the road with a caution flag reminding them, slow down, bridge out, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, so um, that you know that's that's a large part of what we do is just help parents uh, uh, kind of process as they as they embrace their journey. Hmm. And, and Lynn, I was just about to ask you. Go sure. Love to hear your perspective on that. Well, I I, I think uh, first of all, I just want to say that the the parent who wants to go down the road of um, 
like what Greg said, the first path, which is the, you know, you're making a bad choice, so on and so forth. For the most part, part I want to just say that, you know, they love, these people love Jesus. They really, right. you know, they're, they are trying to do what they believe Jesus is calling them to do. And so um, I, we don't, in, in our ministry, it's not like we are trying to change anybody's mind of where they are the- theologically on this. What we encourage them to do, because this was so helpful to us, is to dive into the Bible and, 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 yeah, and go into the, primarily the Gospels. Because I, I know that we're supposed to be imitators of, of Christ, of Jesus, and so I'm not supposed to imitate Paul. I'm not supposed to imitate John. I'm supposed to imitate Christ. And so that's why we um, we help we encourage them to get in the Gospels again and see what the Lord is telling them. I don't know exactly. what God's going to be teaching them. We don't know um, what God says to me. My, someone else might not be hearing that same message. But be sure Jesus will speak to you. Yeah. And that's incredibly important because you're inviting people to take their next logical step, not demanding that they get to where you are. Correct. And, and exactly. so often when we tell people, you need to be like me right now, we actually deny them the journey that we've taken that is so often incredibly formative for us. And so when, when parents come to you, I'd love to hear just you share. When a parent comes to you and says, hey, my kid came out, how do you walk with them? What does that look like at Embracing the Journey for you to walk with families, parents, kids, pastors? When a parent calls or when a parent writes or when a parent, when someone introduces us and says, you know, hey, I have a gay child, um, we listen. We listen to their story. We listen to see where they're at in in their journey. We 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 grieve with them. You know, we we allow them to. In fact, we even say, you know, we encourage them to uh, to grieve through the process. And it's not about you know. I say that, and then you know, I don't want people thinking, oh, you grieve because you have an LGBT child. You know what you grieve is you grieve the 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 expectations that you had, or maybe expectations isn't the right word, but the um, you know the the thoughts of being a grandma and having a, a daughter-in-law or a son-in-law and and what that what that all looks like, you know. And so you have you grieve what you thought your child would have, and so we encourage parents to go down there and to process that. Um, But again, we also try to encourage them that, hey, Jesus never meant for us to to be in this this fear stage. In fact, he never really wants us to be in the survival stage. He really wants us to thrive in our life and and that when we have experiences that are are painful, um, to grow from them and to um, encourage others on their walks and support them and comfort them 
in their time of need. So in the very beginning, the first and first and most important part, I think, is listening. They just want to be heard. They haven't been Mm. heard. They can't. They've never told anybody. We have one lady, um, and I'll just make this brief, but she came to our group. She hadn't shared to anyone except that that first night when she was with us for 17 years. She never told anybody. She just, and she just shared the whole night. She, we just let her talk. (laughs) And she goes, oh, oh my God, I can't believe, and she kept on saying, I can't believe, you know, I I feel so much lighter now. I mean, I feel like I can, I breathe. And thank you for letting me just spill my guts here. So. Well, and and so the deal is when, you know, when, when parents head to the closet, if you think about it, um, nothing good grows in the dark. Um, Satan, the ultimate deceiver, he loves to separate us. He, he loves to uh, isolate us and make us feel like uh, our situation is hopeless. He wants us to believe that God doesn't care. And of course, the flip side of that is that um, God is crazy about us. You know, our, while, while our children were still in their mother's womb, he's numbering the hairs on their head, ordaining the days of their life. He is crazy about us and our gay children. And um, and God doesn't want us to walk alone. He wants us to share our burden, and yeah. um, and so there's there is this taffy pull that exists. Um, again, when when parents um, come to us, typically, Michael, they're in a free fall. Um, we'll hear terms like, um, "I feel like I'm in a free fall," or "I feel like somebody punched me in the gut." Um, we'll hear from people, um, mostly women, that say. Uh, I can't get out of bed. I lay in a fetal position um, for for weeks on end. Um, you know, th- th- their doors have been blown off, and um, and so it's a painful spot for them to be. Mm-hmm. Lynn touched a little bit on it, and, and that is that you know we've we've pretty much identified that <clears throat> um, when most parents learn the news about their child, they're in what we would refer to as the fear phase, um, and at some point they graduate beyond that into this survival phase um, where they, they learn to embrace their new normal. It's not something that they would have signed up for any more than their kids signed up for it in most cases, but they find themselves there. And so they learn how to embrace this new normal. But as Lynn also said, God didn't create us just to um, survive. He wants us to thrive. And so we yeah. walk with parents on this journey from one phase to another and help them see that there really is a continuum, if you will, and that life isn't always going to be like this. Yeah. And, you know, for, for most parents, when we meet them, um, they're in this stage of suffering and they want to jump to hope. But, uh, Michael, as you know, um, God, God's got a, a formula that he, that he uses and he says that suffering uh, produces perseverance and perseverance, um, character and character hope. And so the deal is most of us want to go from being in pain to experiencing hope, but it's as though God saying, no, 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 wait a second. You need to learn to persevere through this. You need to lean into it. Right. And, and as you do that, like I'm going to be busy working on your character and oh, by the way, hope is right around the corner. And, um, and so when parents understand that they can see that there's light at the end of the tunnel, um, 
it becomes a game changer for, for most parents. Yeah. And let me just say this too. The work that you two are doing in helping parents ultimately find, as you said, Greg, hope, or I would say freedom, liberation, yep. joy, rediscover what love looks like, however you want to say it. You're laying groundwork for future generations where the parents are not going to have this sense of being sucker punched, of being in a free fall. But because you're taking steps and you're inviting people to take steps, future generations are going to be much further down the road. And there's going to be a lot less of this retreating to the closet, a lot less shame. And I'm seeing this in multiple ways in the church. Uh, Brene Brown says that all that's needed for shame to grow is silence, secrecy, and guilt. And there's so much silence, so, so much secrecy, and so much guilt around this conversation, which produces that intense shame, which produces the isolation you're talking about. Right. So you're, you've taken courageous steps, and then you put it in writing. And when we talked on the phone, I, I think it was a few weeks ago, uh, Lynn, you shared that there was a little bit of, are we, are we going to do this? Um, so can you talk a little bit about what made you decide to write the book titled Embracing the Journey and maybe some tension or hesitancy you may have had in putting yourself and your family story out there? Yes. Well, um, you know, writing the story, a couple of things that happened. We had, we had many Christian friends who said, you need to write your story. You need to write your story. And actually, I remember this one time with a friend named Steve, and he, we were in, um, we were living in Harbor Springs at the time, and he said, uh, um, you know, that I, or I said to him, I said, you know, I, people have been telling me that I need to write my story. What do you, what do you think about this? And he said, well, one thing that I would ask you is, do you want to be the face of this? And I just immediately sort of just jumped back because I thought, what do you mean the face of this? Um, and when I started processing that, I thought, no, I don't really want to be the face of this. <laughs> and, and so, you know, uh, time went on again and I just, the Lord, uh, God just put this burden on me, like telling me, you need, you need to write this and what, whatever happens, happens. Um, but I needed to be obedient to God to just get the story told. And, and so, um, it was along that way because it happened, you know, like a decade before, uh, people started asking me to, you know, to write the story that, um, I started to feel this burden and, uh, I call it a burden because I, it just wouldn't go away. And, and then as time went on and God was still writing the story, what we found, and Greg ended up saying, you know, maybe we're supposed to write this story from a, a mm. father and a mother's perspective. And so all the pieces to the puzzle were starting to come together. And, and then when he said that it, it went really pretty fast from there. It was like a year and maybe a year and a half and we were done. What, one, one of the things though that was uh, a big game changer in there. So uh, from Lynn saying, you know, I don't know if I want to be the face of that. Um, by the time I had, um, 
joined with Lynn in the in the project of writing the book, I was like, bring it on. Like by this mm. point, you know, when you when when you see um, countless families being torn apart, um, when when so when any of us, most of us can relate to this. If we see somebody being harmed, most of us it doesn't settle well, right? Right. If we if we see that the person who's being harmed is somebody who's marginalized, it really doesn't settle well. When we see that marginalized person being harmed and it's done in the name of God, I, I'm sorry. It's like, boy, that's just a different Jesus than I know. And <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it just, I mean, it just, it just, it, and so there reaches a point. There reached a point where it's like. We, we, we just couldn't take it anymore. In fact, just a quick, quick fun story. <clears throat> um, it's actually been uh, four years ago now that we uh, started Embracing the Journey. And how it came to be was our pastor, Andy Stanley, was doing a sermon series. And he ended up the series uh, by asking the question. He said, what breaks your heart? And Lynn and I both immediately looked at each other and we said, oh, my gosh, it's the LGBT community. <laughs> mm. It's like, you know, we just we just see so many people just bleeding out all around us and it's like it just became super clear that this is something we needed to do full time because you know we've kind of had this loose ministry <clears throat> completely unformed if you will um of serving parents for over a decade but that's that's ultimately what got us doing this full time uh four years ago when we created um the, the ministry. So great. And I can say, uh, given the work that I do, this is, I have for so long said to people, I don't, I don't have any material for you. I don't have anything to hand you. I don't have any steps for you to take. Um, and now I do. So thank you for, for writing the book. And one question I want to ask, cause I'm thinking there's gotta be at least one person out there going. So what happened to Greg Jr.? Um, what is your relationship like with him today? Great question. Greg, Greg uh, wrote the foreword to our book, and um, we've uh, heard from uh, countless people who read the book. Um, uh, just been overwhelmed with uh, a lot of fabulous feedback. Um, but the thing that consistently people talk about is the foreword. That um, they they found themselves um, crying, bawling. <laughs> mm. it's, it's only two pages, but uh, it's it's uh, it's very very touching. Um, I would say, you know, I, we always had a great relationship with Greg, Lynn especially so, um, except for a few years where literally we chased him off, and um, <clears throat> and really it was uh, me who chased him off because of the Bible preaching mama. <laughs> she was she was indeed she was and you know and we just we we just learned that um by by loving greg by loving his friends um by not trying to change them um it earned us um the right to be heard it, they allowed us back into their lives and yeah. um and so not only is our relationship with greg today like never before that is really good um greg uh uh participated in the writing of our book kind of as a fact checker which was very fun <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know because yeah because yes. we hear things differently but I, i'd say the best way i can describe our relationship is this 
um, <clears throat> when we're when we started writing the book, um, we were working with a lady named Beth Cicino, who's a a ghostwriter, and she was kind of helping us because neither of us have a literary background. And so you got a picture. There's four of us sitting in our in our family room together. The tape recorder's running for three days straight, and uh, and Beth is, is asking the question about how we envision this book. You know, is it a is it a memoir? Is it a self help book? And so on. And we're kind of strategizing back and forth. That well, can't it be both? You know, because uh, well, anyways, long story short, is we're having this conversation. Greg Jr. Um, he's sitting there and he's shaking his head. No, right. At some point, Lynn says, well, Greg, what, what are you thinking about? And he says, you guys, and he's pointing at all of us, you guys got it all wrong. He said, this book is, is uh, it's not a memoir. It's not a self-help book. It's a love story. It's a love oh. story. He said, it's a love story of two parents pursuing their son while pursuing the son. And... So all four of us, Greg, eventually started to cry with us. <laughs> um, oh, but, that's but, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of where I'd say when you ask about a relationship today, I think Greg sums it up best um, through that. So. Oh, that's wonderful. And you have an online presence. You've mentioned that. And where can people find you online? Sure. www.embracingthejourney.org. And uh, you'll find a host of, of uh, materials, uh, resources there, um, videos, books, articles, magazines, devotionals, um, not, not just from us, but lots. There's a lot of really talented people um, that are working hard to help people on this journey. And um, so we're pretty intentional about our site and really about our ministry that we, we don't want to be um, telling people what's the right or the wrong thing to do. We really like to serve up kind of both sides. And so there's materials um, uh, from a, a number of different viewpoints. Um, but uh, our experience has been having access to those materials is worth the price of admission. Um, it allows us to become better educated and, and, um, and with the knowledge make better decisions. So uh, great materials the on the resite. And this is the site we wish we could have had 17 years ago. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. You know, that's what we tried to do with our site. It's not about, it's not about us. It's not about our book. It's about resources that can help you on your own relationship with Jesus to go one step closer to him while trying to figure out um, how to... Uh, how to hand, you know how to embrace your your journey with having an LGBTQ child? What what Lynn yeah. just mentioned, by the way, is a great litmus test for us. We encourage parents on this all the time, and that is: Are your actions helping your child to take one step closer to Jesus, or, or pushing them one step further away? Yes. And um, because you know, if if uh, if the if the sound bites we're hearing, if the message in her head is pushing us away from Jesus or pushing our child away from Jesus. Um, it's something to be aware of. Obviously yes. it's, it's not a good thing. So wonderful. Well, and the book is titled embracing the journey, a Christian parents blueprint to loving your LGBTQ child. And I can't recommend it highly enough as Greg and Lynn have shared. It's not filled with dogma. It's not an argument to persuade. 
uh, as Greg Jr. said, it's a love story. And I would highly encourage you to pick that up, to be familiar with it, uh, to give it to friends who may need that love and that support uh, and their continued journey as parents and even as parents of kids whose friends are LGBTQ. So Greg and Lynn, I can't thank you enough for joining us on the Changing Faith podcast. Our pleasure. Thanks for having us, Michael. Absolutely. And thank all of you, our listeners, for joining with us today. That is it for this episode. And so until next time, as always, much love and peace be with you.